Uh, come on in. Have a seat. There's a seat here. There's a seat there. Oh, you're going out. Go on out. And all uh, oh, right. Oh, thank you guys. Bless you. Thank you. Have a great week. Yeah, you're awesome. Sorry to make point you out as you're leaving. That's not cool, but. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> thank you. By the way, that was very kind. Um, my name, if you don't know, is Andrew George Gardner. Andrew George Gardner. I can't believe I've just told you my middle name, okay? Andrew was my father's middle name. George was his father's first name. My name is not random. My name is not arbitrary. It wasn't just something that came up. My parents just didn't think they kind of were nice-sounding words. My name has a meaning. It links me to the generations of the men in my family. As I walk forward with my name, I carry the character and the lives and the legacy of my late father and his late father. And I'm proud of the name that I hold. One of the problems with my name, though, is that, that Andrew means strong and manly. So I don't know where my parents got that one from. But, uh, but names matter. Names actually carry something in them. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about your name or what your name carries. Every single person in this room, your name has a story to it. And if you don't know the story of your name, I want to invite you this week, some homework to do, uh, to find the story behind your name. I know within the Asian culture, for example, that your name is not random at all. Your name came from many, many months of lots of conversation and discussion amongst all your relatives deciding what you should be under a certain lunar new year and a certain kind of thing, wanting to describe something that was audacious and beautiful, written in both Chinese and spoken aloud, so that your name means something. Are you with me? Names matter. If you were to read my name, Andrew George Gardner, you didn't know anything about me, you would know that I'm not Italian. Right? You would know I'm not Chinese. You would know that I'm not French. I mean, there is nothing more English than Andrew George Gardner. I mean, you can't even say it without trying to pretend you're English. Andrew George Gardner is like the kind of way in which you should say my name. There's an old Chinese proverb that says this. It says, the beginning of all wisdom is to call things by their right name. Isn't that beautiful? The beginning of all wisdom is to make sure that you're naming things right, that you're describing something with the words in which you're giving it, because your words matter, and names have the power to shape a story. I was reminded of this just a few years ago when my wife and I, we were in Thailand in Chiang Mai, and as we're in Chiang Mai, we were invited by an NGO to come to a grand dinner that they were putting on, one of those dinners where you have to dress up and be real smart, and where they put name tags on every chair so that you know exactly where you're to sit, and I show up to my table, and there's my name tag, and right next to it is somebody else's name tag, and when I read that name, fear came over me. Let me show you. I took a photo of it. Here was the photo. So there on the right is boring old Andrew Gardner. And on the left, the name tag read HRH Prince Michael. I have no idea who this is. But this man is so important, he doesn't need a last name. HRH means his royal highness. Prince means that he's a son of a duke. I knew that he was obviously royalty, but I didn't know anything about what kind of royalty this was, which is really embarrassing because I'm English. 
and he's a part of the English royal family, okay? But I grew up most of my time in Hong Kong, like I'm a pretty poor subject when it comes to being English, right? So he shows up, I don't know what to do. Do I shake his hand? Do I bow? So I do a shake bow. Because I figure like I've got both covered if I do the shake bow. I could tell that he was used to people doing the shake bow. He was very gracious to me. Turns out that His Royal Highness Prince Michael of Kent is actually the cousin of our late queen, if you're British here, the cousin of your late queen. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, I was very honest with him up front. I'm like, hey, um, I grew up in Hong Kong. Um, I, I'm English, but I don't know much about royalty. Could you tell me about your family? Oh, you should have seen his eyes. His eyes just lit up. And he started to tell me all about his family and how his family was carried and the importance of his name. He had just been at a wedding. Do you know what wedding he'd just been at? Catherine and William's wedding. He gave me all the inside goss about that wedding. It was awesome. <laughs> he was telling me these amazing facts about being royal. He actually told me a story. He said this. He said, you wouldn't know this, but he said, every member of my family, including myself, have all been married in the same church for generations. In fact, it goes all the way back to the 15th century. Married in the same church since the 15th century. To which I replied, I got married in a chapel in Las Vegas that dates back to the 70s. <laughs> he didn't find that funny. It was a joke, but he didn't find it funny at all. We had a most amazing night, but it reminded me of something that I think is so central to our scriptures, and that's this, that names matter, that names hold character and nature and story and destiny that names that are used in Scripture are not random. In fact, here's a biblical interpretation technique for every single one of you here, and it's this. Anytime you come across a name in Scripture, you should stop and ask yourself, what does this name mean? Because the Bible writers don't throw names in there, whether it's the name of a village or a name of a person, by random, they want you to understand something about who they are based on their name. Jesus was in the habit of naming things by their right name. And if somebody didn't have the right name, he would change it on the spot. How weird would that be? Imagine if I did that with you, you know. Oh, hi, your name's Frank. Nice to meet you. I'm not going to call you John, you know. He would go up to Simon and say, hey, Simon, nice to meet you. You're now going to be called Peter because on this rock, Peter means rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus was in the habit of making sure that people understood the name that was within them and what that name meant. And what you see throughout Scripture is that there's power in a name. Now, what you've also got to understand and what we see in Scripture and we see in our humanity is the reality that names can not only shape us for good, they can also shape us for bad. In fact, that there's for all of us names that we carry around that begin to form and shape inside of us that don't actually release us into a wonderful new trajectory of God or life, but actually names that hold us back and that speak into us and begin to form and shape something in us. We all need to realize that actually so often words spoken over us might seem just kind of normal and surface, but when they're spoken over us, they have the power to come down and actually form and shape within us our core beliefs. And so often, the actual names that you carry around with you, not talking about your legal name, I'm talking about the names that you say over yourself inside of you, are formed 
by other people's perspectives and opinions about you. And when people speak over you with their perspectives and their opinions, when they try to say something to you, when they try to, to form and shape your narrative, we often take those words, particularly if they're spoken over somebody in authority of our lives, a, a teacher or, or dare I say a pastor, or, or an, a loved one or a friend or a family member, but these words are spoken, we take them down and they begin to shape these names that so often are destructive rather than releasing Give me an example of some. When somebody says things like, like this over you. Hey, I know you mean well, but you're not actually really that smart. Or what about if someone says, hey, um, I think if you lost a little bit of weight, somebody might actually like you. What, what about a, a word like, you know, hey, you did your best, but there are just other people who are better than you. Or how about this? I wish you could be more like your sister. You will always be deserted. Everyone is going to desert you. People say phrases like this and speak stuff over us. And perhaps people have spoken stuff like this over you. And they go down and they begin to shape and form something in us. And what we do with the words people say is that we create names and we begin to label ourselves. We begin to speak about things in our inner being. So the idea of, hey, you're not very smart, gets internalized like this. I am an idiot. If somebody says over you, hey, you should lose a little bit of weight, I am unattractive. Somebody says over you, hey, there are other people better than you, I am inadequate. You should be more like your sister. I'm a failure. Everyone's going to desert you. I'm alone. Look at this. Idiot, unattractive, inadequate, failure, alone. And these become the names that we begin to name ourselves. And we've got to understand that what we name ourselves has power. What we name ourselves begins to shape and structure our trajectory and our future. It begins to actually form and shape our opinions about ourselves and about the world. And those names that we carry deep inside of us begin to actually come out in our decisions, come out in the things we say, come out in how we begin to think and label ourselves. And we begin to walk in a way that, that is way not the way God wants us to walk. And I want to point this out to you because I think this is actually one of the most important strategies that the enemy has against God's people. Because if, God, if the enemy can do anything, it's that he wants you to think of yourself less than how God thinks of you. He wants you to label yourself in a way that God would never label you. And he wants you to do that because he knows that if he can get you to feel that way, he's going to stop the trajectory of your life in Christ Jesus. And if Satan wants anything, he wants a defeated church. And when this stuff happens in us, I have a phrase for it in the spirit. It's this idea of the slavery of the soul. And if you're anything like me here today, you're wrestling somewhat with the slavery of the soul. By the names that you have come to label yourself. The greatest struggle that I think we have as human beings is this struggle between these, this difference that is inside of us. A difference that actually chains us to bondage and slavery in our inner person. And that difference is this. The difference between who we really are and who we've come to believe we are. That difference will tear you apart. 
So many of us get lost between who we really are in Christ Jesus and who we've come to believe we are in our brokenness. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us has come to believe that you are less than how Jesus sees you to be. Every single one of us. That's the work of the enemy. Now, I, I, I want to say something right up front here that I believe will be encouragement to you. Every single one of us in this room is a broken and complicated person. And here's the good news. The Bible is full of broken and complicated people. In fact, I would actually say it like this. God actually targets broken and complicated people to use them for his glory, his purposes, and his promises. God actually has a habit of trying to find the most broken and complicated people and saying, I can use these ones to bring my purposes, my promises, my redemption, my salvation in the world. I mean, you just need to scan through the pages of the Bible to see how God targets people like this. Noah, called by God to to actually be a deliverer of, of humanity by building an ark, was a drunk. Abraham, called by God to leave his family and start a new family that would become the nation of Israel, was a habitual liar. Moses, called by God to go and deliver his people out of slavery in the, prom- in the broken Egypt and take them into the promised land, he was a murderer. David, who the Bible describes was after God's own heart, was an adulterer and a murderer. Peter, who, who God comes and says, you're going to be the one who would build my church, Peter was a betrayer of his best friend, and the hard thing was, his best friend was Jesus. God is in the habit of taking broken and hurting people and complicated people and doing amazing things through them. And if you're feeling somewhat broken and complicated in the room today, well, that's good news for you. Your complication doesn't disqualify you from God's ordination. Come on, church. I know you're here somewhere. Your your complication does not disqualify you from God's ordination, from God's using you and his purposes and his promises in this world. Your brokenness and your complications is not an issue for God. What it is, is an issue for you. An issue for me. See, God's not put off by my brokenness and my complications, but I am. I'm the one who struggles in that brokenness. I'm the one who's come to allow that brokenness to define me more than how God defines me. I'm the one who's been under the struggle of some of those names that have come inside of me that have formed and shaped me into the man that I am today. Oh, it's not a problem to God because he looks down at me and he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I'm the one who says, I don't love. I'm not pleased. I'm broken. I'm a failure. Are you with me? The names that you carry have great power over you. And this is exactly what was happening for Israel. In this section of scripture we've been looking at during this whole series, Isaiah 40 to 66, what was happening for Israel was that they were in a place where they had come to believe these new names that they were calling themselves out of their brokenness and hurt. I mean, 70 years in exile had been a tough time. And God had shown up now and said, hey, I'm doing a new thing. Will you not perceive it? 
And, and the problem for Israel was that they were struggling to perceive it. They were struggling to, to see the new thing because they were actually on a trajectory of embracing the brokenness that was inside of them. They were allowing that to form and shape how they thought about their identity, how they thought about their nature, and how they thought about their future. So when God up, stand, turns up and says, I'm doing a new thing, Israel were kind of like, yeah, but, but not us. In, in fact, if you look at this passage from 40 to 66, you get a sense of where Israel were. They were angry at God. They were upset at him. They had seen their, their city destroyed and their temple pulled down. And they were wondering, where was God? They felt abandoned by God. They felt like he had left them alone, given up on them, turned his back on them. And in that place of abandonment, they felt dried up inside. They felt like it was over for them. They felt their future was bleak. This is really important to know. That the names that we give ourselves have the power to determine our destiny. And here's Israel going, I've been abandoned. I'm an orphan. I've got no future. There's no good thing for me ahead of me at all. And they're in this trajectory towards a destiny that was not God's destiny. And he shows up and says, I've got a new thing for you. I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? And he's like, there's no way they're going to perceive it because they're allowing the names inside of them to determine where they're heading. And God says, let me speak to you again. Some of you in this room, some of you watching online right now, it's been years that you've been carrying around a name that you've been given yourself, that you have formed in yourself. I'm a failure. No one's going to love me. I can't attract anyone, whatever it might be. And you've been carrying that around for years. And for years, that has been determining your decisions. And I'm here today to liberate you from years of what the enemy has done in you. Because you are not the sum total of the worst thing you have done. You are not the name that you are currently holding in your heart. There's a new name for you. And I wonder whether we would open our hearts today to hear what it is that the Lord wants to say to so many of us who know that there is a difference between who God says I am to who I have come to believe I am through my brokenness and my complications. Are you with me? I want to show you how God does this for Israel. In chapter 62, in this incredible section of Scripture in Isaiah, he says this, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. I want you to hear right up front the passion that God has in this moment for his people. He knows that they're on a trajectory of a destiny that he doesn't have for them. He's stepping in to change how they perceive themselves. And he starts by saying, I see what's going on in your life and I will not remain silent. I haven't given up on you. I'm not distant from you. I see it. I care about it. I will not remain quiet. I will not remain silent because I have a new destiny for you, a new future for you, where it's like salvation, like a blazing torch. It's like the nations glorifying me through you. I see all of this stuff in your future, and I'm not going to remain silent of the fact that you're not on that trajectory. I care for you. I love you. I'm here for you. 
one of the things you could do is take that passage and put your name in it. For Sidney's sake, I will not keep silent. For Sidney's sake, I will not remain quiet till his righteousness shines out like the dawn and his salvation like a blazing torch. For Andrew's sake, I'm not going to remain silent until those names that he has put inside of him, the names that have been spoken over him, which is causing him to live out an identity that is not Christ, until that is changed, I will not remain silent. You need to know that the Lord wants to liberate you from any of these names that you're holding. Notice what he says next in verse 2 and 3. He says, The nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a crown or a royal diadem in the hand of your God. I love this moment. He says, there's a new name for you. I, I see the old names that are tearing you apart. I see the difference that is in you between who you really are and who you've come to believe you are through the broken names that you've adopted and that you've taken on to your nature. I see that I have a new name for you. And it's a name that you need to hear because that name is going to change something, shift something, turn something in your life. That name is going to move your destiny from one thing to the next. I've got something on my heart for you. I know you intimately. I want to come and change what it is that's happening in your life right now. I see what the enemy has done and it moves my heart. Hear my voice. Let me speak. I've got a new name for you. And notice what he says here, because I think this is so key. He says, I've got a new name for you that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. Why is that important? It's important because the majority of names that we have, that we embrace, are names put there from the mouths of others. <laughs> names put there from the mouths of those around us. Maybe my ex-spouse said some things that caused me to uh, and believe some things about me that are a lie. Maybe that colleague or that boss pulled me down because they wanted to get the promotion. And that name, that thing they said about me, oh, I've begun to believe it. The names that will be destructive in your life will come always from some other voice other than God. And when God looks upon you and says, we're going to change something here, it's his mouth. It's his voice. Not a voice from anyone else. Not a voice from your pastor. Not a voice from the preacher. Not a voice from a good friend. It's going to be the voice of God that is going to change it for you. It's going to be his voice that will shift something in your life. And I love the fact that you come to the vine and listen to me and the other pastors preach. And we hope we share things that will help you. But it is God's voice that will change you, not mine. It's his mouth that speaks. And my prayer for you today, both in this time now and in the week ahead, is that you will hear the voice of God speak a new name over you that will change everything for you. Notice what he says next, verse 4. No longer will they call you abandoned or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom, bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God rejoices over you. I love what God does here. He starts out by saying, let me name to you the names that are currently inside you. Let me speak out about how you've named yourself. Here's how you've called yourself, Israel. You called yourself abandoned and desolate. God is really clear that he wants them to understand where they are. 
that they, they feel that way, abandoned by God and desolate. And I think those two names, abandoned and desolate, are not just for Israel, but I think they sum up all of the strategy of the enemy to hold us back from the person that we truly are. If, God, if the enemy wants you to have anything, it's for you to feel alone. It's for you to feel abandoned. Abandoned by your friends, abandoned by your church, abandoned by God. And when we are abandoned, when we feel like we are alone, we dry up inside. The word desolate there, speaking about like a desert that's dry inside. We dry up, the joy is gone, the life and vitality is gone. We think we're no good to anybody. We think we've got nothing to offer this world. If we are abandoned, we find ourselves without joy. When we're abandoned or deserted or given up on, it dries us out inside. And God is very specific here because he wants Israel not to be shamed. God's not shaming Israel by doing this. God's doing something very powerful. He's saying you need to know where you're starting. You need to be honest about the names that the enemy has spoken to you. Before I give you a new name, let me uproot the old names. Let me tell you that old name. In order for God to give Israel a new destiny, he had to first invite them to be honest about their current one. Come on, church. Not to shame them, not to embarrass them, because he really wants to help them. And that help's going to start when Israel goes, oh man, I've embraced some names. I've called myself abandoned. I've called myself desolate. And that has begun to shape my thinking about God and my thinking about others and my thinking about my future. And this is where I'm at, God. This is my 10th um, year as senior pastor here at The Vine. And over these past 10 years, I've had to go through a very important and challenging journey of owning the names that I have named myself, of wrestling with the things that I feel the enemy is placed in me, that I've regurgitated and embraced and made an identity of. And I've had to wrestle with the Holy Spirit in a place of deep honesty about my broken names in order for me to receive a new name from him. I want to just share some of the names that I've carried and still carry at times. The first would be forsaken. I've called myself forsaken, and I felt forsaken. This happened when in my early 30s, I found out that I wasn't able to biologically father children. And when I found out that I couldn't do the very one thing that I had my heart set on, I wanted a family, I wanted to build a family. And when I discovered I couldn't do it, I was so angry at God because God had given me the dream for a family, but then it created me in such a way that it was impossible for me to do it. And I felt like he was laughing at me. So I felt abandoned. I felt like I was forsaken, and that became a part of my identity. Betrayer would be another name. My wife, in that moment, I felt like I had betrayed her. I felt like I had betrayed her dreams and her hopes. I felt like I had, had stopped her from having the one thing she had always wanted, which was to be pregnant. I felt like I had betrayed her trust in me, and that I wasn't enough for her. Failure. If only you could be in my house, 
on a Sunday evening after I preached three or four times on a Sunday. And you would come to understand how I've named myself failure. It's a regular ritual for me to get home after a big day and say, honey, man, I was bad today. I didn't even know if anyone was listening. People were getting up and going to the toilet and doing all this stuff. There were people asleep on the front row. No shame, no shame, I'm just being honest. And I'd get home and I'd say to her on a regular basis, like, am I doing anything that's helping anyone? Maybe I should do something else. My wife would always go, oh gosh, here he goes again. And then she'd pass me a gin and tonic, you know. Take this, everything will be fine. Herter. Herter is a name I've embraced recently. Being in leadership is a difficult thing. Many of us in this room are in leadership. Leadership's hard and it's difficult and challenging. And I've taken on the identity of someone who hurts somebody because I've made mistakes in leadership and that has hurt people. People on my staff and people in the congregation, particularly during some challenging times over the last three or four years when we were dealing with stuff in our city that we, we, we didn't know how to deal with. I know that I've hurt people in how I've led here. And I've taken on that as part of my persona and identity that I'm a herder of people. Liar. By the way, this is a really bad list of, of things for your senior pastor to have. I hope you come back next week. Um, but liar. Not that I go out and, and try to lie on a regular basis, but I know that sometimes there's a very thin line between the person I'm projecting to be and the person I really am. And I'm not just talking about my Instagram posts. But I think for all of us, often there's that fine line, isn't there, between what we want people to think about ourselves, how we want other people to label us, and if they really knew us, like really knew us, they would understand that the story is very different. And over the past 10 years, I've had to wrestle with these because I realize these are names that have come to form and shape me. And I think that you would be able to write your own list here of some of the things that you're carrying. Israel starts from the point of God saying, no the names that you are carrying. Because it's from that point that he can now speak. Notice what he says next here in verses 4 and 5. He says, I know that you've called yourself abandoned. Your name will no longer be desolate, for you will be called Hepzibah, and your land will be called Beulah. Hepzibah means my delight is in her. Beulah means the land is married, or there is a marriage that takes place. I want you to see what God does here, because it's super powerful. He steps into this horrible moment for Israel, where they're dealing with the reality of how they've begun to name themselves. And God says, I've got a new name for you, and my name for you is the absolute opposite of how you're naming yourself right now. You need to know that what I speak over you is the complete opposite of it. You feel abandoned, but you're actually married. You think you've, you've been given up on, but actually your name is Beulah. I married you. I love you. I'm here with you. I'm walking with you. I'm intimate with you. Like the intimacy of husband and wife in marriage is my heart towards you, my people. Oh, you feel desolate? You feel dry inside? I understand that. I get that. But I name you like this idea of Hepzibah, which is my delight is in you. I have a delight in you. I love you. I see you. You're not dried up and given up on. You're not. There's no joy left. I've got delight. And I want you to know my delight in you. So he names Israel the absolute opposite of what they were naming themselves. And this is always a work of the Spirit of God in church. He always comes up to you who are carrying broken names, names that say something about you that is not true. And God says, you're not that, you're actually this. 
You're not this broken stuff here. I want you to know how I see you, the way I wanted you to be, and the way that you were created to be in Christ Jesus. Even though there's a difference between who you really are in Christ and who you've come to believe in your brokenness, I'm not going to give you a name here. I'm going to give you a name here, and this name is going to uproot that name. Abandoned, married. Desolate, total delight. And God is doing this because he so cares for his people. And he wants his people to know the goodness of a God who changes everything. And I want you to see something here that's really important. God does not name us based on our past actions, our present actions, or our future actions. Praise God. He names us on Jesus' past actions, Jesus' present actions, and Jesus' future actions. That's the way God names his people. In other words, he doesn't name you because of you. He names you because of him. He names you of his son, Jesus. Like how my name is Andrew George, connected to the men in my family. God sees you as his family, and he wants to connect you to his son, Christ Jesus, his one and only son. And so when he sees you, and when he speaks names over you, he names you in the generations of his family, right down to Jesus Christ. And he says, you carry Jesus's name. You carry my son's name. You may not feel like you're righteous, but you're righteous. You may not feel holy, you're holy. You may not feel like you have grace. I have graced you. These are the names for you. Yeah. And, and he's calling his people to walk in the power of a new name so that they would be in the trajectory and the destiny that he has for them. But I want you to hear this. I want you to hear something really important. Just because you have a new name and therefore a new future, does not mean immediately you have a new nature. Come on, church. That's really good. Someone should write that down. <laughs> Just because you have a new name and a new future does not mean you immediately have a new nature. And when God names us, what he's doing is he's declaring the starting point of a process. He's declaring a starting point of a new journey, a starting point of a new identity, a starting point of a new time in him. When he says you are holy, he's not necessarily saying you're holy in this moment, but you're holy in Christ Jesus. You're holy through the blood of Jesus. And you're on a trajectory and a destiny and a growth of becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. The vine's whole vision statement is that we are growing big people here. Ephesians 4, Paul says, we become more and more like the image of Christ. That's a journey that we're on. It's the journey of sanctification, but because Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, at the start of a new journey, he declares the outcome right at the beginning. You're holy. You're righteous. You're forgiven. You're filled with grace. Notice how he says it here in Isaiah chapter 42, the same sort of section of scripture, just back a couple of chapters. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. See, the form of things have taken place, and new things now I declare over you. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Before they even happen, I'm going to declare them. I'm going to make the end your beginning. 
before it even takes place, before you even grow into this new identity, I declare it over you because I'm saying this is now who you are. Uproot the broken names. You are not a failure. You are my son. My daughter's name is Mia Lynn Gardner. What a beautiful name. Her last name, Gardner, funnily enough, is my last name. And it links her to incredible English heritage that goes all the way back to Prince Michael of Kent. <laughs> well, it doesn't, but hey. Lynn is my wife's mother's first name. And we named her that because we wanted her name to take her back to her New Zealand family and the years and years of heritage and legacy she has from those from New Zealand. Mia is Latin for mine. It was Chris and I who had struggled to have children say over this girl, she is mine. Could you imagine what it would have been like for Mia, who has been adopted? Mia, who, who was once in an institution, who didn't actually have a family, for us to come along and say, we know what your name is right now, but we're giving you a new name. We're actually declaring the end right here at the beginning. Your name is Mia because you're mine. You're no longer abandoned. You're no longer left alone. You're no longer going to be an institution. You have a family, and that family has heritage and legacy, importance and name, and you are a child. And every time we say your name, Mia, it's like we're re-declaring that you are mine, that you are not abandoned anymore. Every time Mia says her name, it's her way also of aligning to the new destiny that she's in. It's her way of saying, these parents are mine. This family is mine. These people are mine. We broke that wrong identity over her and gave her a new name. In fact, in her crib, I want to show you a photo. This is her crib at the institution where she was. We put a sign up saying, my new name is Mia because I am someone's now. What are the names that you're carrying around you that are not of God? That is your brokenness speaking to you and forming who you think you are when actually God has something for you. I know I've gone a bit longer, but I really, this is a very important word for me to share. I hope you understand that. And it's important for us as a church to be with. And I want to just take two more minutes to finish with one more scripture. Is that okay? Because I want to give you a practical way that you can begin to rename yourself this week. A practical way for you to hear the mouth of God say something new over you that has the power to uproot whatever failure, I'm not good enough, I'm not attractive, I'm not whatever it might be that's going on in your life. This is taken from Revelations chapter 2, Jesus speaking to the church at the end of all things. Notice what he says. He says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who have overcome, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give them a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to them who receives it. I love this idea that Jesus would say at the end of all things, he's going to give us a white stone. It's a stone because it is indestructible, symbolizing eternity. And it's white because it's the righteousness and the glory of Christ, his salvation and cleanliness in us. 
And he says, I'm going to give you a, a white stone. And on that white stone, I'm going to write a name on it. And this is a new name that I have for you. It's unique to you. I'm not giving it to anybody else. This is a name that you need to know. Why is it unique to us? Because every single one of us has uniquely been formed by the enemy. Uniquely shaped by the broken words spoken into our lives over however many years it is that we've been alive. And so the unique name that comes from God is the opposite of how the enemy has tried to form us. And at the end of all things, he's going to give us that name that will reject, turn away, uproot all of that brokenness and say, you have overcome. You can come into eternity with me. Know this unique name that I give you now for the destiny that you have eternity in me. Here's the practical thing I want you to do. Every single one of you, hopefully, as you came in today, were given a white stone. You're probably like, what is that about? If you didn't get one on the way out, you can grab one on the way out. But these white stones, I want you to do something very practical this week. I want you to put this somewhere where you're going to see it every day. It might be by your computer at work. That's a great place to put it. No one's going to come by your desk and go, why do you have a white stone on your, like, white stones just will be invisible to everybody else, okay? But you'll put it on your desk, or maybe you'll put it by your mirror in your bathroom, or maybe you'll put it on your living room, like a cupboard or a sideboard or something like that. But as you put the white stone there, here's what you're doing. You're reminding yourself that you carry names that you don't want to carry anymore. Remember, the starting point for Israel was that very thought, oh, I'm carrying some honest names that I don't want anymore. The white stone is a reminder to you that you carry those names, and it's an invitation to you to be honest about them. I've been honest about mine in front of 700 people here today. Would you be honest about yours before Jesus? And as you're honest about your name, the white stone is a reminder to you that you have a new name. And as well as letting God know the names, the broken names that you're carrying, may you then open your ears to hear the new names that he wants to give you that day. And say, you're, you're not a failure. You're my child, and I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. If we're going to see the new thing that God is doing in us, we need to recognize that there's a broken identity that all of us battle with, that there is this difference between who we are in Christ Jesus and who we've come to believe we are through our brokenness. And God can change the trajectory. I pray you take this word and really, really take it to heart and allow the Holy Spirit to do some beautiful work in you. Would you stand with me? And I want to pray for you. And maybe if you're comfortable, you can open your hands. And I know, again, we've gone a little bit longer. But I want you just to take some time now not to rush this bit. This bit's the most important part, actually. As we spend some time with Christ Jesus. As we spend some time with the Holy Spirit. As we think about the white stone in our hands. As we're honest about some of the names that we know we hold. And as we listen afresh to the truth of God, speak over the lies of the enemy. You are not forsaken. You are not a betrayer. You are not a failure. You are not a herder of people. You are not a liar. You are not what your teacher said about you. You are not what that person said. 
You are not what your ex whatever said to you. You are not what those test results might say to you. You are and always will be only what Jesus Christ says to you. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he names you, my son, my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Lord, I pray you would uproot today and this week names that have long held us captive to the slavery of our soul. And I pray, Lord, you would release us to a new season of hope, a new season of life. Lord, I pray that you would bring a name that is the opposite of the name that the people in this room are carrying. Lord, I pray that it would free them from the weight of burden, the weight of expectancy, the weight of feeling like a failure. Lord, I pray you would release people into a new destiny that is only shaped by you, that your mouth would bestow the name they need to hear. Father, we need this for our city. We need this for us. We need this for our workplaces, for our families. Release your church to a new name, Lord. Take some time. We're going to have a prayer team in a moment available for you. And we'll stand and we'll pray with you. If you would like prayer in a moment after the service finishes, please come forward for prayer. Because I know for some of you this is important to take the time to do this. But for all of us, let's now just take a moment to respond in worship and allow this worship time to be a time for you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are some of these names I'm carrying, Lord? What are some of the things that you want me to lay before you today?